From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome everybody to episode 134 of the Killing It podcast. So let's start this out with a question. I listened to this other podcast. I know I shouldn't do that, but I listened to this thing called Business of Tech. I don't know it. And there's all these, <laughs> all these really great statistics. And then I think, does any of these stand out to you, Dave? Like, what's your favorite statistic that you uh, end up spouting in the course of a week? The so I've got two categories for that. The first is uh, the, the you highlighted it when we were thinking about this a little bit is the data around trust. What's happened over the past uh, five years around I, about trust in technology companies? That one totally fascinates me. Um, I clearly am fixated by it. The other one is all around work from home stuff. Like I'm fascinated by seeing people's thinking on that. And then I have to give a little third space for. Uh, I want to dig into the social impact of stuff. So like when I dig into some of the diversity stuff, I was fascinated by seeing about the data around the disparity in black homes around broadband access and how dramatically different it was. How about you, Ryan? Are there stats in uh, in this industry that you you sort of glom onto and like focus on? Absolutely. See, and, and that's the thing. We, we The three of us are naturally born data hounds, right? Like I'm fascinated by numbers and relations and it's the interplay among them. In the history of my career though, the one that I continue to think is fascinating is at the point when a customer in their system adoption and utilization believes that they have blown the doors off of their existing equipment and they need to upgrade. What percent of utilization or capacity is that? We actually did that study when I was um, in a previous life and we were working for Oracle and we were looking at, you know, when do people upgrade from four to five, five to six, six to seven, and, and what percentage of features are they utilizing? And the compelling event was when people went past 25% capacity. And we were able to triangulate that against like, hardware and memory capacity and storage utilization and everything. It's like you get to 25% and people go, this is old. I hate it. I need the new thing. <laughs> and, and I'm like, as a technology sales guy, my answer is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Carl? What's your favorite uh, stat? Well, my, my favorite stat on an ongoing basis is always the percentage of users who are using a particular technology. And so now as we begin the 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 world of uh, windows 11 you know they always come out with something in in october november uh let's see how quickly we get to the point where they start bragging about their numbers because right now they're not bragging about anything so we shall see well it did just come out and by the way it's it's not even the majority operating system right because mobile and all the mobile space is bigger anyway so it's it's interesting yeah. how the world and, and and you know it's interesting because I love the fact that we all love numbers, but numbers in isolation don't actually mean anything. So, you know, 42. <laughs> well, that one does, but other numbers don't. It's true. 
Well, two things today. First off, if, you, if you're catching this right when this episode drops, you still have time to sign up for Killing It Live, which we're doing on October 20th. You can find information and registration at killingitlive.com. Join us if you're catching this episode right as it dropped. Sign up. Catch us tomorrow because we're going to be out for that. And if not, if you missed it, you can catch the recording by going to that site and get the extra bonus topic because there will be one only available for people who show up for the event or check the recording afterwards. Dave, for brand consistency, do we need to say that in the branded way? Killing it live. I think we got we to gotta come up with like a way to say it. I think it. that's a special on Dana. <laughs> <laughs> but today's, today's sponsor, our good friends at Ignite. Are you still using on-prem file servers and VPNs to share files with remote workers? Ignite is a business class cloud sharing solution that works more like your on-prem server than other solutions. With a security first approach to file sharing and collaboration, Ignite offers multiple options for sharing files and collecting files from outside sources and do it all addressing data governance and compliance. Want to learn more? Check out ignite.com MSP. And when you do, Tell them the guys from Killing It sent you. The first topic that I'm going to dive into in an article that we've linked to in The Atlantic is tied to the topic of Slack specifically, but more broadly to how technology systems that allow employees to talk amongst themselves without the watchful eye of the big boss controlling the conversation are actually leading to something that might look like employee revolt in certain situations or employee culture commitment and buy-in in other situations. Now, uh, you read the article and they're, they're talking about, well, number one, the first number that jumps out at you is Slack was, was sold for $28 billion. Man. Hat tip to the, to the text chat, guys. <laughs> That's impressive. Um, but what they're also highlighting is the degree to which very significant companies that have always had like this iron fist control over external communications and a real deep emphasis on like how culture gets made and this is who we are and we are these kind of people. Apparently, when you allow the people to talk amongst themselves, uh, maybe they don't feel the same way about culture that management does. Um, I think this is a fantastic place to start the conversation, guys. Do you believe that this kind of undercurrent of, com of employee communication is a good thing? And how would you recommend that an organization actually respond to this kind of stuff? Well, well so this is, I knew that you, this was going to be catnip for Ryan. And in a way, it's catnip for Carl. So I'm going to tee up <laughs> in a different Carl way. Next because, yeah, in a different way. Because, because uh, you, know, other, you know, Ryan's got lots of thoughts on management and poor management practices. I tend to, I, I'm very much becoming this. Uh, fascinated by what's going on. I know I talk about it a lot, the changes in work, but also in this idea of asynchronous communication and collaborative online spaces. Like I'm, I'm super intrigued by this. And I freely admit some of it was the like, I spent 10 years on the road and I think, well, it has to be a better way to do this. Uh, and my thinking comes from that. I'm, I'm, this is exactly the idea behind collaborative online spaces is to empower communication and flatten the hierarchy. Well, shocking, now it's not working out exactly the way management wants. I mean, an extreme example of this is what's going on at Apple. They're having a revolt over management policies, which they used to be able to be very top down, push down the, and, and control everything. And now they've given now a tool 
plus the shift to disparate, uh, disparate work has caused this incredible culture change. I think it can be ch channeled and put into very positive, productive new ways. That also means there is destruction to old ways at times that happens at the same time. That can be very difficult for an organization to manage. I don't know, digital transformation. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but you, know, you, you look at this and say like managing that process, by the way, that's a thing, that's a skill, you gotta do it. I think where we're going is incredibly interesting. Well, I have to say, so first of all, the, the other perspective that Dave alluded to is I absolutely hate the concept of running your business on an interrupt-driven basis. But to me, the deep, juicy goodness of this article is about culture. And ultimately, we all know culture either comes from the top down with intention or it grows from the bottom up, <laughs> right, like a mold. And the interesting thing is I don't say, you know, Dave, you said that this is changing the culture. In many ways, I think this is simply revealing the culture. And, and what bosses love to do in mega corporations is say, you shall do this. Everybody have a good Friday and enjoy yourselves. It is the decree from the top down. And you know, <laughs> when, when I had a, a IT company with a bunch of employees, one of our rules was when you get a new employee, they spend, they, they go to lunch with a different person every day for the first two weeks. And that way, and I would literally say, you get a chance to talk about me behind my back, right? You get to talk to each other about how this business actually operates. And instead of the boss saying, we are driven by blah, 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 you get it from the other employees. Well, if you don't trust your employees to have that conversation without you being there, that's a piece of the problem. <laughs> and you can't, you can't say, you know, everybody go off and have a good day. The meetings will continue until morale improves. It just never works. No, see, and you're right, Carl. Uh, I 100% agree with your comment on not creating or changing the culture, but revealing it. I, I believe about culture exactly what I believe about brand. Brand and culture are not what you say about yourself. It is what the others, the other interested parties will say about you when you are not in the room, right? It is, it is not what your logo looks like. It is not what your press releases say. It is not what your intentional corporate communications strategy, that, that is not culture. That is messaging and those are fundamentally different. Culture is by definition, organic and it is based on lived experience. You can tell me to have a good Friday all day long, but if you're a Richard, I'm probably going to remember my experience much more than your words, right? I remember a day we were at a big conference and it was early in the days of Twitter and we were in an executive boardroom meeting, lots of big wigs in the channel industry were in the room and the topic turned to Twitter and how are you using it and are you leveraging it to communicate with your channel partners? And a very senior individual, SVP of something or another at a major corporation, piped into the conversation to say, well, you know what? Well, we have a strategy for Twitter, and the strategy is you may only post if you are an authorized poster or have your information cleared and vetted by the authorized posting group. At, at which point, even in the early days of Twitter, I was like, you just don't even understand what the hell this tool is for, do you? You have no concept of what you're using or why. 
Slack is that way. Other internal communications are that way. If you don't like what you read about yourself in Slack, that's your fault. Well, I'm going to direct everybody. It's a it's a fascinating read uh, about and, and I culture always trumps everything on the, on this. But there is there's some definitely some lessons here in thinking of where you can apply your services. So our second topic today is about our good friends at Amazon who. You may recall, in the past, I have referred to as truly and sincerely evil. Amazon is one of the few companies I can look at and say, as a seller of products and services, I hate them. They take more than their share and they abuse the people who are supposed to be their partners. As a buyer, I buy Amazon Prime and I have more than my share of stuff delivered to my house because it's convenient and low priced and blah, blah, blah. Well, this article points out something that many of us have known for a fact for a long time, uh, and it's now come to light in the Indian um, uh, corporation of Amazon, where they are actually stealing ideas from their best-selling uh, vendors, having those products manufactured in China or somewhere else, and selling against, and then manipulating the search engine to make their Amazon Essentials product the preferred option. And I just have to say, if you don't think this is going on in the United States, you are fooling yourself. This is everywhere and it, and it really represents something where I, I think for the first time, Congress has got something to latch onto and say, that is what we're talking about in terms of bad behavior. I'm shocked, shocked I say. How could we possibly have predicted that this would happen? I mean, like, yeah, look, I mean, yeah, and I, I quit because, by the way, it gets a good chuckle, but it's it's the, I mean, I, I always use this analogy because I think it's super important. Chemical companies would dump their waste into the water if we allowed them to. Anybody who says the free market will solve everything is missing some of the problem of that. Free market will do everything it possibly can do to completely optimize for profit alone. Right. And I mean, and that is there. You've got to put guardrails around that because I like water that doesn't create three eyed fish. Like, <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's, it's just that simple. And there is healthy, I say it every time, there is healthy space for debate over what that looks like and what the guardrails are. But saying there aren't guardrails isn't, that is not how this works. And so this is a space where it's like, of, course they will do everything they possibly can to optimize for growth and profit and all of the bits that the business needs to do and we have to decide how much control each what's allowed and what's not that's what happens here it, it is what happens is what has to happen when a company gets to the scale of amazon and has an outsized influence on the market you, you remember that old supreme court saying like talking about a different topic, not a monopolistic behavior, but uh, the, the Supreme Court ruling was, it's hard to describe, but I know it when I see it. Um, I think that's the dictionary definition of anti-competitive behavior. They didn't just copy your ideas, they squelched sellers' ability to fairly utilize the platform or the marketplace as the rules were defined. If we came in and, and the Amazon partner agreement was written to say, hey, by the way, when you sell your stuff here, I'm totally going to copy it. And when I get a viable version to sell against you, I'm going to squelch you in the search results. And you get to choose today whether you agree to those terms. Now, 
A, I don't want that bargain. I'm not signing up for that. But B, if you disclose it, then at least it's ethical. In that litany, Carl, that you you went through with the, you know, how they come with the products, everything, where it goes dead wrong is at the point where they manipulate their own search engine for their own benefit. I'm not surprised when a large marketplace or a retailer copies ideas of the people who sell there. Uh, I've been to Walmart. I've been to a Kroger grocery store. I've been to a Costco. And I understand that private label products happen and they happen based on the POS sell-through data in those retail environments. I get it, right? It's not fair. It's not nice. But they do that stuff. But they don't take your stock off the shelf and throw it in the dumpster in the back of the store and go, I don't know why you didn't get any sell-through. You're going to have to accept a return on all of these items. That's where it goes wrong. And that's exactly what Amazon is doing here. Copy my ideas, whatever. That's mean and that's rude, but you're a marketplace. By the way, you know all the people in our world who are like gaga about how marketplaces are going to replace the channel? Don't kid yourself. There's never been a marketplace that did not exist for the purpose of copying the best ideas that are sold within that marketplace. Proceed with caution. But when you manipulate the search engines against your competitors and you don't disclose that, um, that's not just mean. And that's going to jail kind of stuff. And it's more than competitors, right? Amazon is in this weird place where it's not just their competitors. These are their partners. Without people like me creating content, creating th something for them to sell, they have nothing to sell. And uh, a perfect example, I, I know somebody personally who created this really cool product, went, you know, had it uh, made in China, gave Amazon more than their share, worked his way up, fine-tuned the product, tweaked it, and eventually became the only product that would show up in the search engines. And then pretty soon, Amazon literally had an Amazon version of the same thing and it worked its way up and knocked him out of business. And his approach was, I knew this was going to happen because that's who they are. And the question is, is Amazon salvageable? Because I'm afraid Congress is going to take the route of just break them apart and, you know, scatter the, uh, the four pieces, you know, across the world um, and then see what happens. Right. Well, so, but as as a, as somebody who is uh, often pro breaking things apart because I like market competition and I can see some value in that move, I don't believe that solves this particular problem. I think for this particular problem, there is a difference between being the platform of sales and a seller on the platform. They are different things, and there needs to be clear rules of engagement of what the platform seller can do versus sellers like and i think that's where it comes down to is, is there needs to be very clear rules of the road for the different tiers in this and it's well defined so that every play plays fairly well and we all know none of us actually read um terms and conditions nobody reads the 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 user agreement right i would be curious if we dig into this do you think that they actually disclose that they're going to do this i wouldn't put it past them to have come out and been so brazen as to say, well, you can't sue me for competing against you and, and deprioritizing you in the search. I told you in the user agreement that it was going to happen. That would be ballsy, and I wouldn't put it past that. I haven't looked to see if that's in there, but that, that I mean. And we need to be careful. That is conjecture. Yeah, right? yeah it's like, <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, 
you know, in terms of breaking them apart, I mean, I do have to say, Dave, we did learn something from AT&T, right? We broke up the phone company and then all the pieces are like some sci-fi movie. <laughs> they all found each other so, again. So, don't get me wrong. I don't necessarily, I, I think the end result of splitting up companies like Amazon, like particularly if you split up Amazon and Amazon Web Services, is you create two companies of greater value than the combined. I actually think that's good for the market. I think it's good for competition. My statement is that I don't necessarily believe that addresses this particular problem. Right. Well, and that's what that's why I want to differentiate to. I'm not saying I oh I necessarily think that's bad, like not a bad a good idea. It's that if I'm looking at this problem, I want to be thoughtful about the way that I address it. And I don't think this fixes Right, that. I agree to that. All right, we're out of time on that one. Well, then I want to do a, our third topic today. Uh, as you might know, I read a ton of stuff and I read a ton of different sources. And I read this, I read a uh, magazine called Commercial Integrator and it's, they have a website, mostly what I read. Uh, and it's all the AV folks. Like it's all the people that are in AV and doing uh, all of, you know, digital signage and live events and all of that kind of stuff. Because in my mind, it's a related field to technology. And I was fascinated by a particular article where they are recommending to their audience that AV providers need to speak IT's language. And they directly reference managed services providers and the uh, IT operations model and proactive monitoring and subscriptions. And they are essentially imploring, saying, you know, for AV integrators, they need to adopt this model. And it was one of those bits where it's like, wow, I feel like I've seen this article before. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not relevant, but I wanted to throw it out here and go, God, okay, guys, another, another industry looking at the IT technology as a service industry and saying, go do that. I'm sure you've so got an idea. For, for years, <laughs> I have uh, basically taken the approach that if it involves uh, IP, meaning internet protocol, if it involves IP, it belongs to me. In other words, all these companies say, hey, you know, look at this. We've got a foot into the IT service provider community. All we have to do is learn about Windows and Apple and networks and we're golden, right? That's, that's we've heard that from signage, from office machines, from all kinds of stuff. I think it's the other way around. If, it, if all you need to know is IP, we already dominate. We know Windows, we know Apple, we know the network. And so we can go take and eat their lunch. We can consume uh, that industry much more easily than they can consume us. And I have seen time and time again, when you go to hotels, it is now the local managed service provider who has been contracted to provide the uh, AV setup at the hotel. Which, and again, I think that is not only the natural evolution, but that is in the business interest of the IT provider. If there are devices connected to your network that affect either traffic, performance, or security, and you are not responsible for those things, uh, A, you can't promise quality of service on the things you claim that you're responsible for, and B, that's kind of malpractice when you claim things like, I'm here to make sure your network is secure. You know, except for those other thousand devices that are connected to your network that I'm not responsible for. 
Uh, this is where, and you, you and I have had this conversation, Carl, over the years about the IoT space. If the only thing that you include in your agreement for managed services is the classic Wintel stack, you are leaving 99% of the devices out of your agreement, and that's going to eventually represent 99% of the revenue. It's not today, obviously, right? Nobody's got that much IoT deployment. But when active sensor-based products and AV products and printers and telephone systems all exist on one central nervous system of your IP network, if those things are all interconnected and you're not responsible for them, A, you're leaving the customer vulnerable to performance and security issues, and B, you are leaving all the money on the table. Please do not just focus on these are the things. It's a server. It's a network. It's the storage. It's the PC. These are the things that I'm responsible for. And damn it, you can't make me try harder and do anything else. <laughs> Hello, dinosaur. Yes, we can. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to play the other side of this because I, I come at it from a little bit of a different perspective. And the reason is, is so I, I read these I read these ancillary industries because I want to see how they all fit, how these things fit together. And my working theory is, is the you can't be experts at everything. And in fact, oftentimes the failure of a lot of particularly small or, or growing IT groups is that they try and do everything. If, if you take to the logical extreme of what Carl said, every IP device we manage, that is a lot of stuff in the current world that you have to be really great at. You know, for example, you've got to be great potentially at like digital signage or at, uh, you know, or at event planning that goes on both these IP enabled devices. And some of it may be too far a reach because I believe in being really good at a few things, really great at a, at a, at a, a defined set of things. And I can't do everything. And so the reason to understand the other markets around is, is how can I combine things to create something better? If I'm a small $2 million, $1 million, half a million dollar IT's provider, if you go to the logical stream of, it's got an IP address, I'll do everything, you may get yourself in over the head. Either you've got to be very, very careful about the clients you go after, and you can only be really great at those things, or you partner to have a collection of, gr of groups. I was just yeah. going to say that, see, that's your savior, because here's the thing. So what these guys are talking about in the article is, look, it's service-based and it's, you know, IT-based. And so we should be able to just, you know, gobble up every customer. And again, I've seen this probably more in the telephone industry than anywhere else. All we have to do is learn about networking. Well, that all we have to do is a monster compared to all we have to do is learn telephones. And so you don't have to own and, and manage every piece of the technology personally, but who owns the customer? And at the end of the day, I think we are much better served to say, look, you want, you want to do the AV stuff? You work for me. I will own the customer and I will bring you in because ultimately to what, to what Ryan was alluding to, somebody has to be responsible for all the security, right? Somebody has to be managing all the relationships. The, the whoever does the signage, whoever does the, the computers, whoever does the, the camera systems. And that is the managed service provider in my opinion. Well, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, but I'm gonna be contrarian here, Carl, what? because I actually think, <laughs> well, I, because it's fun. Um, 
Well, because by the way, remember the customer also has, has always has shared risk with their own vendors, right? They can't, you say as the managed service provider, oh, I'm 100% in charge of the risk. A, that's impossible because the customer has to own some of the risk themselves, right? And B, I'm not sure that's a great recommendation in a world where the, where the, where the risk is as high as it can be to assume all well, except of the, the risk. But whether you like it or not. So, well, let me, fin let me finish the thought because where I'm going with this is you can collaborate with your partners and have shared, defined responsibility Definition of I own it may be I am on point. I'm coordinating. I'm I'm dick. You know I'm I'm air traffic control on this. But I think a shared responsibility model with clear defined responsibilities that also include the customer is the actual optimal way to get to the to the in a in a perfect world. I think that's true. In the real world. Uh, <laughs> if stuff comes in, if, you know, somebody gets into an IoT device and breaks into the system, there's no way that the customer is not going to hold the managed service provider responsible, even if they didn't even know that that IoT vendor was in the house. Well, and see, Dave, this is the, the clarification. The only reason that historically responsibility for all of these systems has been disconnected is that as an industry, we insist on selling systems and components in a disintegrated fashion. We sell you AV and telecommunications and digital signage and the IT. And A, the customer has no interest anymore in managing all of those points of control and risk. They're looking for a single one. And B, all we have to do is look to other more mature complex environments to find the business model. Nobody in a general contractor space knows everything about every single system in building a skyscraper, but there is one contract holder and one permit holder and one central point of control and authority, and all the subcontractors report to them, through them, to the ultimate owners and the end users. That's our space. We are, we are in the classic violent agreement because we're not saying the same thing. We're just looking at it slightly differently. And what I want to make sure that my message is, is like, don't solely take on this, particularly when you are not a subject matter expert in, the, in, in those areas. You cannot do everything, even if we are saying you are doing everything as the general contractor. They are at conflict and you must balance. Unless them. you're Amazon and then you can copy everybody's systems <laughs> and sell everything. Right, they just copy and everybody and you're, you're all done. And pretend like so, it's it. yours. All righty, sadly, that brings us to the end of episode 134 of the Killing It, Killing it! podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.